Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. Joining us on this, uh, gosh, I cannot believe we're getting already this close to Christmas. It is Monday, December 14th. And again, we appreciate you joining us. Today on the Hot Topics segment, we're going to be talking about the Independent Mortgage Banking Conference, Bankers Conference. And uh, I was just at that conference in Nashville and had the privilege of sitting down with a number of folks there. Really, a really well-attended conference. I believe they had almost 120 more registrations there at the desk. It was had over 600 people attending. Uh, it registered in advance, and then I think 120 more. I thought it was up to 720 res. Uh, res- registrations for this conference very well attended great topics all the way around so we've invited david stevens the president and ceo of the mba to come in and talk about issues related to the independent mortgage bankers and are excited to have him here with us he'll be in the hot topic segment so you don't want to miss uh the, the whole broadcast and then uh, stay tuned all the way through to the second half of the broadcast where we'll have david on for as much time as we can get. Again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals, for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award through Progress and Lending. Special thank you to them. Of course, we say always say thank you to our sponsors, and United Guarantee has just done an outstanding job in the industry. They are number one for a number of reasons, and they've done some very innovative things. For example, they have introduced the Secure Cert. It's a suite of five options that allows lenders to choose the maximum rescission relief available uh, and it, it, at, at no additional cost. So you can go 12 or 36 months, or you can do a full file or delegated submissions. You can do one-day protection. There's a lot of options that you can choose from to meet your business needs and operational processes. And uh, for more details, I encourage you to go out to their website, www. Well, forget the W's. You know they're all there. It's UGCorp.com. Trying to get out of that www habit. Anyway, UGCorp.com or contact your United Guarantee sales team. Again, it's mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Also, special thank you goes out to our sponsor, Velma. stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They are way more than just an assistant. They are a true partner dedicated to helping you build stronger and more profitable relationships. And they have a wonderful set-it-and-forget-it auto campaign. I mean, I tell you, folks, this, these electronic notices going out are so powerful. So many of you keep up on it. If you're not getting our notices, please email me at david at tms-advisors.com and I'll make sure that you get added to the list. We're going to have a new website up here and running. You'll be able to do that on the website here shortly. Also, our newest sponsor, Motivity Solutions. We're so glad to have them here. Next week, we're going to be starting some KPIs of the week. I just listened to some of the recordings they're making. I'm very excited about having them be a part of us. Again, they're providing real-time reporting as well as dashboards and scoreboards. Motivity is the mortgage business intelligence tool that, and technology that delivers real-time powerful analytics enabling mortgage lenders to proactively monitor and measure 
and manage their operations across their enterprise. What you measure, you or what you, yeah, what you measure, you can monitor and you can manage. It's really interesting, very exciting stuff. Check it out, MotivitySolutions.com, or call them at 303-721-9000. Always a special thank you goes out to Alice, Joe, and Andy for all that they do to contribute to this broadcast and to this uh, podcast, I guess is the more official term now, and uh, to this program. We appreciate them being here. Quick update on upcoming MBA conferences. We do that each and every week. Uh, January 21st, 2016, we have the MBA Mergers and Acquisitions Workshop. It's going to be held at the Hilton Phoenix Airport. Boy, that's a hot topic. Mergers and Acquisitions, a lot of activity happening as we see a rapid acceleration of consolidation with the industry. So it's very timely for those that are entertaining that or wanting more information. Check it out. Hilton Phoenix Airport. Also, January 22nd, the Whole Own Trading Workshop will be going on at the NBC Suites Hotel in downtown Fort Worth. Beautiful downtown. I used to say, you know, Fort Worth used to be a pit, but I tell you, it's really come up there. It's a great place to go. NBC Suites Hotels, you know, you'll not be disappointed. And the Whole Own Trading Conference is a workshop, excuse me, is something of real value. Check out all the conferences throughout the week or throughout your anytime you want to find out what's going on with the conferences and schedules and these are must attends folks you need to get to these things they're so valuable that conference that was up in nashville here just recently was so good and so check it out mba.org forward slash conferences dash and and dash education so anyway check it out it's good stuff Let's get on over Mortgage Action Alliance. If I have mentioned that, I want to be mentioning that more often. If you're not signed up for that, get it, get signed up for it. It is probably the nicest, well, most well-designed program. You can have your voice heard by just cl- reading it, clicking on the links they provide. You do some registration so they know what you know representatives, what senators to send out the notifications to. It is actually so slick. So kudos to the NBA for what they're doing there. Joe Farr. Let's talk about the market. Hey, we got some. Um, this is a big week. Looking at the things plunging right. here, you know, prices yeah, are the, plunging here. What, what's prices? Well, it, you know, look at it as as though we're just giving back what we gained on Friday. Uh, we were yeah. up about a half a point on Friday, and today we're down ten thirty seconds. So, uh, you know, some of this is just a reversal of that. That was uh, Friday's move was uh, a lot associated with the fear in the market regarding. You know the the reaction to oil and and junk bonds yeah. and corporate earnings. So uh, we're just kind of reversing a lot of that so far this morning. Um, so we'll get into last week. Uh, it really was just a wash throughout the first part of the week, but then on Friday uh, we saw big moves. Where, like I mentioned, up about a half a point in prices on Friday. Uh, it wasn't due to retail sales, which is an important event, but uh, and it was even better than most people expected in in most of the categories. Uh, and it wasn't due to PPI, which also came in uh, uh, higher than expected. Both of those you would expect would uh, push prices lower, but in fact we saw uh, a bit of a shift to uh, quality assets. Uh, the result of uh, I guess it starts going. It goes back to Saudi Arabia saying we're not going to uh, slow down our oil production uh, with supply already way exceeding demand. That was not good for uh, oil producing stocks or oil producing countries, and uh, kind of created a, a big drop in the stock market and fears going running throughout uh, the high yield bond market. So. 
that fear led to uh, an increase in demand for safe assets like uh, government-guaranteed U.S. mortgage-backed securities. And so the Dow fell about 300 points on Friday, and, and MBS, as I mentioned, improved about uh, uh, half a point on Friday. Uh, and then today we're uh, we're reversing a good bit of that uh, on the MBS side. Uh, unfortunately, the stock market's only gained back about six, 60 or 70 points of the 300 something dropping uh, the Dow yet, uh, on Friday. But you meant mentioned the Fed this week. It is all about yes. the Fed. Uh, the statement's set to come out at 2 o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday, followed by a press conference. Uh, the market expects a quarter-point hike in the Fed funds rate. And uh, that, that being done, assuming that is done, the focus is going to be on what kind of guidance they begin to provide. They're, the guidance exactly. is uh, the expectations are uh, from no more increases to uh, you know every other meeting increases. Uh, so it's across the board. And, and so whatever guidance they give us uh, is what could be the market moving event uh, from that meeting. Before that Fed meeting, we do have CPI, which comes out tomorrow at 8.30. Uh, also, uh, housing starts and industrial production will come out Wednesday morning before the Fed. So, uh, But, again, it's all going to be about the Fed uh, this week. All about the Federal Reserve, yep. Now, I tell you, it's going to be really interesting, It's especially, you know, I'm a podcast junkie, and I'm listening to so many comments about this, and it is as wide-ranging, and these are really some outstanding experts uh, that they get on some of these different uh, uh, economic, program, economic programs I listen to over the weekend, so it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, Joe, I've had a lot of people sending in notes to me right now saying, what's Joe's thought? What happens if they don't? And what happens? We already covered what happens if they do, especially if they get forward guidance out there. This is not a one and done. But it, I think the bigger question is, if they don't, can we see a potential rally or does it just continue to create uncertainty as to when and we live with a more of what we've had? Your thoughts? I think more of the latter. You know, they they could not point to weakness in the economic data as being the reason that they're not doing this. They could point to the disruption of the market, much like we saw before the the at the September meeting. There was big disruption in the stock markets and the world markets, and and we're seeing a bit of that now. But you know, that's turning around somewhat, and there's not near the panic right now going on as there was on Friday. So, uh, I, I think that if they don't do it. It's uh, it, it's certainly going to be a bigger surprise, but I, I have a hard time seeing a great big rally on that uh, uh, yeah, because of the uncertainty yeah, just, that follows it. Yeah, I think you look at uh, what's going on in China, the central bank in China, your central bank in ECB, and then you start looking at the potential consequences of us you know, continuing with more uh, – you know, returning to normalized monetary policies, if there is some, if anything's normalized anymore, I don't think that's possible. Right, right. Uh, I think we departed from whatever that was. We lost sight of that a long time ago out the rearview mirror. Uh, so the question would be, will we see more um, the potential of, e, you know, of uh, easing or another round of quantitative easing, such as China and ECB? So we'll see. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Appreciate you being here, Joe. Excellent stuff. You anything bet. else that uh, we haven't covered here? No, no. You got it. I think you got Time to go it. on and get, get to Dave. Yeah, <laughs> can't wait to get to Dave. All right. Well, I'll look forward to it. Thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk. We'll be right back after this brief break.
Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility over the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you back with us, everybody. Again, we are listening to the December 14th podcast and uh, program. Good to have you with us. I say that because many of you, probably 80, 90% of our listeners do listen uh, as a result of that. So, God, man, I'm looking at a number of people dialed in literally from all over the U.S. I think we have all 50 states just led what's dialed in on the regular phone line. And we got Paul, so one of the people dialed in is Paul Mall. It's good to have you with us, Paul. I'm Thank logged you, into your website. Good to have you. I'm looking, logged into your website, imfnews.com. And I just want to stress to our listeners, if you're not receiving this into your inbox each and every day, you're missing out on what's going on. You could do a great job of covering the stuff. I'm really, uh, I, I, we've got a lot on here to talk about, but Penny Mac Financial Cuts Repo Deal uh, with Barclays, that, that one caught my attention, especially as you know, huh. we look at where the trends as we head into the new year. So why don't you cover what some of the headlines are here, my friend? Sure. Uh, just just a clarification. What time is Dave Stevens on the show today? Dave is going to be on here at the bottom of the hour, so we're going to okay. have him on at right around one uh, thirty your time out there. In good. Sounds good. Okay. Listen. Uh, you know, not not a big surprise, but interesting. VA uh, production numbers are out. We crunched it based on the Ginny made uh, numbers that we get. And you know, through the first nine months of the year, you have one hundred seventeen billion dollars in VA production. Uh, and that is already better than all of last year, where VA loans, uh, the total origination base for 2014 was 109 billion. So we got three more months to go before we see the final number. And just you know, listen, a great year for VA lending. Uh, if you watch CNBC like we do on and off all day, you occasionally see some ads on there for lenders promoting VA loans. And the biggie, as many people know, is the famous uh, no zero down option on VA lending. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, veterans back from um, uh, military service. There's you know more people serving, uh, so they're they're eligible and their family members are eligible. Yeah. And VA lending, um, you know, is a good business to be in. Uh, number two on the, on the queue today, New York Investment Fund, a select equity group. I don't know much about the company. I Googled them. There's not much uh, publicly available information. They do manage $12 billion in funds, so that's uh, they're not a piker by any means. They cut their stake in Walter Investment Management Group by 71%. They only own 3, 3%, 3.4% of the company. They used to own almost 12%. Uh, Walter, of course, is the parent of Ditech. Sometimes when you see these kind of huge reductions in uh, ownership, it's not a good sign. Walter, along with NationStar and um, Aquin, have struggled. Uh, probably NationStar has struggled the least of the bunch. Uh, those three are often grouped together, and it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, how they do in the new year. Uh, different strategies, different companies, all big publicly traded non-banks, but this is a pretty big reduction in ownership. I called the uh, fund. They didn't want to talk. 
not surprising. So, anyway, uh, an active subprime lender, Angel Oak, recently held some webinars. Uh, they revealed some production numbers. They've done $1,300 uh, $1, number in subprime loans. Only two of those loans have gone 90 days or more delinquent. Uh, you know, they're probably one of the most active non-prime lenders out there, along with Citadel Loan Servicing. Citadel has a new security in the market. It's not theirs, but it's their collateral. That bond, I believe, price is Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, rumor has it that Angel Oak's working on a pretty big non-prime deal. I mean, big for non-prime. But listen, yeah, the message yeah. is yeah. non-prime securitizations are back. They're small, of course, uh, and they're being done through the yeah. private market. Very few originators are doing this or, or have very few sponsors. But, you know, listen, it's a foot in the door. These are not your crazy subprime bonds of uh, yesteryear, of the crazy days of uh, the last decade where Wall Street was securitizing anything that moved. These are loans with down payments and, and carefully underwritten, so that's something to watch. Uh, Jumpstart yes. GSE reform bill, whether you're pro and con, that's still alive. That's still out there. Uh, there was word over the weekend and it's possible it could become part of the spending bill. There's a report out by Compassport and, uh, and a couple other research firms. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Penny Mac, the repo deal, uh, we just threw that out there. Uh, there's a lot of repo deals out there. Uh, they, don't, they don't all get disclosed. Uh, there's SEC filings on the public ones. Uh, you know, listen, Penny Mac is a very interesting company. They had one of the largest growth rates of any uh, non-bank uh, ranked among the top ten. That is uh, Stan Curlin's shop. Yeah. Uh, and Stan has, uh, you know, done very well with uh, starting that company after he left Countrywide back in, oh, gosh, was I can't remember, 2006, 2007, before it yeah. got ugly there. And, and Stan took a year or two off, started Penny Mac, and it's done pretty well. So, And they're out in the markets well. doing repo deals. Joe Garrett, he's with Garrett McCauley. Uh, I often uh, read his newsletter. It's always fun. He's a consultant to the industry. Uh, he raised an interesting point this week. And uh, in it he says, with the CFPB intent on finding racial discrimination against uh, every mortgage rock, someone should start a national boycott, national boycott where borrowers <laughs> refuse to list their race on the form. And I guess Joe points out that uh, there's so many online mortgages these days that he doesn't think racial discrimination is a problem. So uh, I just threw that out there for people to chew on, and we'll see. A uh, new study from Fannie Mae, it basically, lo and behold, consumers don't know, <laughs> know much about anything with getting a mortgage, the whole process, <laughs> the down payment, what you need. Uh, that that report came out late last week, so we wrote that up. Uh, Lending.com has got a new CTO, Chief Technology Officer, Corey uh, Morara. And there's a, a just that we threw that as an, an aside, S&P's got an opening in its servicing department. So just some job-related items there, uh, this being the end of the year. So that's uh, all the good stuff, and I look forward to hearing what Dave Stevens has to say at 1030 or so. I mean, 130 or yeah. so. Sorry about 130 that. 130 or 30, yeah. yeah. It's good to have you with us, Paul. Appreciate it so much. Folks, if you are not receiving this, uh, Paul's uh, blog, and getting that into your inbox, go to the website, imfnews.com. Get signed up and get into it. Paul, look forward to having getting your thoughts about the interview with Dave later on. Let's switch Thanks, over to know. Alice Alvey. You bet. It's always fun to have you on. Appreciate it. Uh, Alice Alvey, good to have you here with us, as always, to give us an update on what is going on in the world of regulations. Alice? 
Hi, Dave. Hi, everybody. So here's my quick update. Um, first of all, there is a new House bill that was introduced December 10th. It's H.R. Yeah. 4211. Um, the Credit Score Competition Act of 2015 soon to be over in 2016. So who knows where this will go, if anywhere. But just the idea of a concept of requiring that Fannie and Freddie would have to have a very transparent process about how they came to approve a credit score. And the bill attempts to describe a process and oversight, similar to kind of a vendor management oversight, that you would completely understand the credit scoring model before you would be allowed to use it as, say, a minimum threshold for a purchase money mortgage. So definitely a lot of players uh, would benefit from something like this. Certainly there's a fair lending angle to it. I think there's also an angle to it to multiple credit score providers who might want an opportunity to get in there because of, and then for those who want to just know what's behind the curtain, right, and the uh, <laughs> how a credit score is actually calculated. So we'll watch that. I'm not sure it'll get much uh, movement, but definitely uh, an interesting topic. Um, just a heads up to flood insurance notifications for all of you who um, originate loans. This applies to absolutely everybody. Starting with your January 1st, 2016 applications, you should have a new disclosure in your package anytime there's flood insurance for a borrower. They always have the right, regardless of the LTV, to escrow for flood insurance. Now, there is a small institution exemption allowed for this for those under um, a billion in assets, which is a lot. Um, and so we'll definitely watch for that, though. Those of you delivering to those uh, larger aggregators will still have to have those forms. And anybody with a servicing portfolio, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to give this notice to everybody in your portfolios if there's any kind of a change to the loan at all. So make sure you read that and check on it. Also, a quick note about all, all the HOPA thresholds for 2016. Normally, they go up. This year, they all went they went down, and they went down by a little mm. bit. So, like, the QM threshold is a 3% or a dollar amount uh, for the for loans greater or equal to, we always kind of looked at it as 100000 Well, that went down by $200. Um, the Section 32 loan uh, threshold went down by a little bit. So, just a heads up. Probably won't affect too many loans, but just want to make sure you're aware of that. And then, of course, we have the new CFPB resource guide for HUMDA. We're getting lots of requests to help companies analyze their data there, and uh, we're happy to do that as you're trying to get your item, your things cleaned up in 2016. And then, of course, TRID is continuing to unfold. I thought it was interesting that uh, Richard Cordray said that it was nothing like Y2K panic and it made it sound a little bit like he wasn't really paying attention to what's really going on <laughs> because there is a lot <laughs> going on with lenders. Yeah, you know, yeah within go, the mortgage okay, world, it may have felt like a little Y2K. I know. Yeah. I'm like, okay, be careful what you say because you're sounding a little detached. But, you know, I mean, that, yeah. there, certainly there wasn't an explosion sure right after October 3rd, but we're now building up to, so maybe it's a snowball rolling downhill that he, he, he really just needed a different analogy because that's what's happening now. It's really built up uh, with the challenges between lenders and title companies and co uh, coordinating a few things. Oh. But uh, we'll get through it, uh, but definitely some challenges going on. It, it is having its challenges. Yeah, it's trid hell out there for a lot of folks, especially when you look at the, the working with the various title company closing agents. It has just been a nightmare. And many of them thought they had gotten ahead of it and, and prepared for that, but they're, I'm, I'm, not, I'm hearing a lot of horror stories out there. Alice, thank you yeah. so much. Appreciate the update. Good stuff. And I know we want to get to the David Stevens segment yep. here as quickly as we can, so we're going to race on here. Folks, we're going to be right back. We've got Sam Garcia and the Profit Doctor here right after the break. Be right back. Stay tuned. 
If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Good to have you with us, everybody. Let's get over to Sam Garcia. He's out on the West Coast enjoying some warm sun out there, Some hopefully some good weather. Sam Garcia, good to have you with us, my friend. Oh, it's good to be here, David. So you're you're out there on the, on the West Coast with family for Christmas. Good for you. Let's get an update on all the things going on. And on your website, for those that are not aware of it, check out MortgageDaily.com. Good information. A lot of stuff here today. Uh, Sam, go ahead and run through what some of the headlines and some of the things that you're tracking for us. Yes. Uh, last week, our mortgage market index was down 7%. Uh, that index reflects average rate locks for open close users. But arm activity was up 6%. Uh, that was primarily a result of the, the fact that rates were kind of up earlier in the week, even though they took that dip at the end of the week. Over at Chase, um, we had a big move. Mike Weinbach was named Chief Executive Officer of Mortgage Banking, and he was promoted from his job as Head of Mortgage Servicing. Uh, another big executive move was over at U.S. Bank. They uh, named Tom Wind uh, president of their U.S. Bank home mortgage. Um, he comes from Everbank. Um, there was a report that Moody's put out last week said that several firms that conduct third-party reviews have reported that over 90% of loans they've reviewed had some sort of trade violation. So kind of in line with what you and uh, Alice were talking about. But it did also indicate that most of those uh, violations were technical in nature, pretty minor. So um, that's the other side of that. Loan Depot provided some information to us as part of our mortgage origination survey. They said they closed over $7 billion during the third quarter, um, and that's pretty significant because it means that their business was up more than double compared to a year earlier. Some of that helped, of course, by their acquisition of Mortgage Master. Over at Jenny May, um, they reported uh, the issuance during, or during November was down 9% from October, but uh, the issuance of uh, home equity uh, conversion mortgages jumped 57% during that same period. Um, over at MGIC, they reported that there was a 14% drop in new policies written during November, um, and that was the worst month for them since February earlier this year. Um, at Mortgage Bankers Association put out their profitability report for independent mortgage uh, bankers, um, and that report indicated that servicers, um, we, we kind of dug into this and found this, that servicers with portfolios of less than 2,500 loans earned a three basis point profit in the third quarter. And at the same time, servicers that had more than 50,000 loans had a loss of 10 basis points. So small ones did better than, than larger ones this time around. Uh, the NCUA reported a $225 million settlement with Morgan Stanley. They've had several of these uh, settlements come up. Uh, and these, uh, this agreement was tied to MBS losses at uh, some of the corporate uh, credit unions that failed after the financial crisis. Um, over at uh, – also at the NBA, that, that profitability report indicated that the third quarter staffing uh, for the average independent mortgage banker was 326 employees. 
climbing from the prior quarter, but th- at the same time, originations were down, as everybody knows, uh, from the second quarter uh, from, for most lenders. So uh, it's kind of a lag there before they actually make changes to staffing uh, you know, after originations fall. Realtor Track reported that new foreclosure filings fell 15% in November, uh, but at the same time, uh, completed foreclosures were up by 10%, and we've been seeing that being kind of a trend as uh, servicers clear out their portfolios. And finally, uh, a big announcement last week was that Ally Financial, uh, which got out of the mortgage business a couple years ago, um, disclosed at the Goldman Sachs Financial Services Conference that it plans to get in the business again next year. It's going to start next year and uh, with limited originations. And we went back and looked, and Ally reported uh, $56 billion in originations in 2011 which is pretty significant. Of course, nowhere near where they were when they had a res cap on board. But anyway, yeah, those are some good. of the big headlines for the last week. So, Good stuff. Sam, thanks so much for dialing in. Enjoy your holidays out there on the West Coast. Orange County is one of my favorite places. I used to live there a bunch of years, and it's a great place. So enjoy it, my friend. Appreciate you right, tuning thanks. in or dialing in and being a part of it. Thank you so much. Check out the website. Sam's website. It is. Uh, it's just one of those websites. You just yeah, again. I check out all the headlines of these. I'm looking for these sources, and I invite specific ones to this broadcast to do it. And so check out mortgagedaily.com. Mortgagedaily.com. Or call Sam at two one four five two one thirteen hundred. Thank you, Sam. Have a great rest of the holiday out there in the in the West Coast, my friend. Let's you jump too. over to good, you bet, but uh, let's jump over to the profit doctor. Always good to have the profit doctor. He can, yeah, you know, you've been traveling a lot there, Andy Shell. Good to have you with us. Hi, Dave. Us a quick update. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you very much. Awesome, awesome. It's always a pleasure to be on the show, Dave. Well, I have three quick points, real quickly here. So the, the first point is about secondary marketing, and then a point about accounting, then a point about conferences. About secondary marketing, we were presenting at both the national M- well, the MBA's accounting and financial management conference and then, again, to a group of CPAs that we teach. And we were, we were talking about secondary marketing, and we were talking about in the structure that most independent mortgage bankers follow where they'll have a, a short uh, MBF TBA position that they then unwind with a pair-off and deliver into a mandatory delivery commitment from one of the big aggregators. And we were talking about how when you hear a secondary marketing person or you hear their business owner, an, an independent mortgage bank owner, say to you, to the CPA, oh, man, we, are, we have such an awesome secondary marketing department. We actually got paid money on our hedge. Our pair-offs made money. We're doing great. Well, what's wrong with that statement? What about the loan sale? You've always got to take them in, in tandem. You've got to look at both the loan sale gain and the TBA activity. If the TBA is a loss, so what if it's a loss? You should have had a bigger loan sale gain. There, there's always the relationship between the two together, never just one. You can't look at big mandatory delivery gains without looking at the pair-off costs. So you always got to look at it in, in tandem and make sure that makes sense. If someone complains about pair-off losses, that's not enough information. You have to know about the loan sale gain. Now, real quick, quick side note about accounting, and that is people get confused about interest rate lock commitments and the accounting treatment for those. People think that because a best efforts commitment is the delivery point for an interest rate lock commitment we issue to a customer, then therefore there's no accounting that has to be done. Well, that's not true. All interest rate lock commitments are derivatives. 
and the unrealized gain in the interest rate lock commitment has to be put on the books of the mortgage company. It becomes a derivative asset offset by a gain on sale. It has to be done that well. It doesn't matter if it's best efforts. The place where people get confused is that mandatory delivery commitments are derivative, but best efforts commitments are optional derivatives. And so that's a really important point that probably just went right over the top of everybody's head. So if it did, the fact of the matter is you need to understand this stuff. And so the MBA is launching, MBA Education is launching our accounting series again starting at the end of February. And we're going to go four sessions, hour and a half each session, and we're going to talk about this stuff. We're going to go way deep in the weeds because every independent mortgage banker, someone in that organization needs to understand what I just talked about cold. They need to understand it rock solid without any equivocation because that's what it takes to be successful in understanding your numbers. So sign up for the MBA education webinar. Go to the MBA.org. Go to education. Sign up for the accounting series coming up in February. We're going to talk about all this stuff. And now live from the MBA is <laughs> We're going to go right to him right here. I want to call attention to this because I think they, I love the new website. I just Googled. If you're trying to figure out where those all these uh, education uh, events are that the MBA sponsors, you should take a look at the list on here. Just just Google MBA education. Uh, for those of us who have long memories, it's uh, Campus MBA. It's now referred to as MBA education. You can Google it and bring it right up. It's got a list of all this content that's there. And, and this is you've done this how many times, Eddie? I mean, you've done this accounting webinar. Is this your sixth oh, time? Yeah, there yeah, it's a lot. It, 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 it's a it's a great service to the industry. I mean, it's a nominal fee. If you were to try to get this this work, get this level of education uh, at a real school, it would cost thousands. So, you, a couple hundred bucks, you get a great education. It's worth doing it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. And the best part is, is the way you explained it is for us non-accounting types like myself. You do a great job of really making those complex things really crystal clear. Thanks, Andy, so much for uh, appreciate you being on, being a part of it. Well, and, uh, normally and even – go ahead. I'm sorry, real quick. And, and even for CPAs, mortgage banking is a unique animal. It is, it is much more complicated than people think it is, and they often underestimate the complexity. So even for CPAs, if your auditor, if your CPA auditor – doesn't have a lot of mortgage companies and doesn't immediately understand what I just said, play back what I just said to them and say, what does he mean? If they can't give you the answer, then you've got the wrong CPA auditor. This stuff's complicated, and there aren't. There's only like five firms in the country that do this really well. Yeah, and and to get it right, you you just can't miss this. I mean, you've got to get it figured out. So get your CPA, get your CFO, get the CEO. I mean, get anyone who wants to learn this stuff onto this webinar. Andy, thanks so much. Appreciate it so much. We're going to skip the ad break because I'm looking at the clock, and I want to allow the maximum amount of time for our special guest uh, to come on. Uh, So I want to be the first to welcome David Stevens, the president and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association. And, uh, David, it's just really good to have you be here with us. appreciate you taking time out of your extremely busy day to be here. Thank you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, yeah, good to be with you and with with everybody else here. So, great. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of topics we cover here at pretty neck-breaking speeds. But we're going to really focus to this segment, this hot topic segment on independent mortgage bankers, David. And that's really the focus uh-huh. of this. And uh, so let's get in talking about this. Of all the people, that all the companies that are members of the MBA, what percentage of the MBA membership is made up of smaller lenders? 
Um, yeah, so David, we have about uh, 2,500 financial institutions and associate members that are all uh, part of the MBA. Um, of that, about 80% of our overall membership are what we would call community lenders, which consists of independents, uh, credit unions, community banks, and more. 30% of our membership in total is, is just purely independent mortgage bankers. In fact, one thing I always tell people is our, our, our membership of independent mortgage bankers alone is, is significantly larger than any other group in this country that, that uh, focuses on this particular segment. Well, well, I'm yeah, Andy, let me jump to, if we could break down a little bit more of the segment, how you guys segment that, because there's independent mortgage bankers, there's large ones, such as Quicken, <laughs> and then we have some of the smaller ones. And so if you could kind of get into some of the metrics on that a little bit of how how should we be looking at the lenders? How does the MBA specifically look at these various small lenders? Then I'm going to well, you, Andy. You know, Sorry about that. I had to get that clarity. Yeah, so, uh, you know, IMBs are a very unique element to lending, and we've seen their extraordinary growth um, over these past few years, and I think it goes back to really the HARP program because while the big servicers were focusing on refinancing uh, their existing portfolios, it was really the IMB that served the purchase market. And you know, if you yes. think about independence in this country through our own – just looking at HMDA data out of the Federal Reserve, there were 4,200 – depositories that reported to Humda this last year, uh, this last reportable year of 2014 that's been uh, now public. There were about 2,000 credit unions. There were only 827 independent mortgage bankers that reported Humda data, um, and it's been relatively consistent over the past several years. So what makes this segment unique is it's obviously a smaller in terms of institutional size, but all an independent mortgage banker does is do mortgages. They don't do credit cards, they don't do you know commercial loans or finance refrigerators or uh, land, et cetera. They are specialists in the mortgage space, and I think that's really helped the IMB take a uh, stronghold of the purchase sector um, really over these past several years, and it's been a great thing to watch. Andy, now go to you. I'm sorry for interrupting you there. Andy, jumping in there in the middle of you. Go well, ahead. No, that's okay. I was just, I was just following the script here. So, uh, hey, it's great to have you on the, on the show. I, I, I've been around Licking so long, I know to expect the impromptu, and I love it. I love the impromptu, but you said don't – whatever you do, don't impromptu is in with the NBA. So, um, so, Dave, tell me about this. I have a question. There's all these small lenders, and, and the numbers you're quoting were actually, frankly, more than I expected. I didn't realize it was so many. So – Explain a little bit, expand on how does the MBA advocate on behalf of this large group of small lenders? Yeah, so it's a great question, Andy, and it's um, I'll tell you, as an organization, we've had a, a really singular focus on making sure that um, everybody has uh, a seat at this table and all institutions, because if you're going to speak with one voice, you have to have policies that don't give preferential treatment to any particular institution. Um, it's ultimately how we're, all, we're successful. I will tell you that the vast majority of our policies that we've advocated for have been focused on the IMB because they've been the ones where most of the regulatory policy has singled them out in a negative way. So um, I'll tell you, and I've been here, believe it or not, almost five years now. <laughs> I sometimes uh, am shocked when I think about the t term here at MBA. But it was really in the oh. very first. It was in my very first few weeks coming to MBA back in 2011, where 
Uh, I brought in uh, a small group of independent mortgage bankers. Some may know Hank Cunningham and John Johnson of you know really well-known traditional IMBs in to meet with acting DeMar- uh, director Ed DeMarco to talk about leveling guarantee fees. I mean, just think think where we are today. Think back then. Back then, there was a pretty wide spread between the largest lenders and the smaller independent mortgage bankers, and we, we, we right, were arguing right. that point from the very beginning. Uh, that's where it started. Um, since then, we've established and created the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference, which anybody who was there, uh, just the, the, the most recent one, the growth of that's been phenomenal from what was a couple hundred people to over 700 people uh, down in Nashville. We've created the Independent Mortgage Bankers Executive Council. It's a CEO-only council of uh, about 40 independent mortgage banker, again, CEOs, who meet regularly. They report directly into the board. Uh, They help advise us on uh, people who we can select for key positions of leadership in the association. Uh, And we asked Dan Crockett of Franklin uh, and Bill Cosgrove, our former chairman, as we all know, is uh, sole proprietor and CEO of Union Home, uh, to co-chair the the, uh, maiden voyage of, of the IMB Council. But you know the difference is where you ultimately get tangible groundwork. Where, 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 what's the what's the output? How do you execute? And so, I look at the things that we've done specifically. We hired outside counsel uh, to help us draft legislation to modify the Safe Act um, under our own policy decision that uh, everybody should have to take the same test. It shouldn't be limited to just. Uh, a certain select segment of institutions. Quite frankly, I think it's better for America if you can tell every consumer that no matter what loan office you sit with, they've all passed the same test. But knowing that that was going to be a heavy lift, we also have been working this transitional licensing bill uh, very effectively. And I, th- you know, we're seeing very good traction. It's been negotiating with the CSBS um, and other bank groups that might have ultimately been against the transitional licensing legislation. We've been able to. Uh, we think broker a positive, um, at least, alliance around recognizing that there shouldn't be unnecessary, uneven barriers to entry for employment uh, in this marketplace. And that transitional licensing piece of legislation has a better chance of going through than, than a, uh, unfortunately, our SAFE Act uh, legislation, which would actually change the law completely. Um, so th- those are how you get, uh, you know, tangible uh things done on behalf of the independents. But it, it goes further to how we're working on uh, specific attacks against the IMB. There's, I've been public in the press. In fact, Paul, I think you might have picked up one of my comments at one point uh, when Ginny May uh, was making some public comments about concerns about non-banks in their portfolio. Um, you know, when there's this view that non-banks aren't as regulated as other institutions. We've come out pretty strong on those uh, on those particular points. So I think, you know, across the board, there's a whole variety of issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it all ultimately goes back to the very beginning when we worked, you know, extremely hard bringing in these the, the heads of independent mortgage bankers in to meet with, again, uh, DeMarco way back when, to start leveling the playing field, because that's ultimately what I think the greatest risk is as we look forward, is moves that would unlevel uh, – the, the the playing field, which could only hurt consumers, let alone the independent mortgage bankers, who are so so important for the purchase market. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make one quick point just to clarify something that you said about that GP leveling. I used to be in capital markets at B of A, and we used to yeah. get 
15 basis points improvement on our GFI. So what that means to people is that because of Dave's effort, that actually converts back to increasing independent mortgage bankers' gain on sale by almost a point. And so the, the, that in and of itself is huge in being able to be competitive in the market. Yeah, and it's really Andy. Andy, it's as you know, it's what forced. It's why so many more independent mortgage bankers could only sell through the aggregators back then, rather than going direct to the GSEs, is because you know, yes, there's a there's a servicing value which gets into the execution that a, a, a independent mortgage banker is going to ultimately make as to whether they go direct and hold or sell the servicing themselves or go through a correspondent. But you know, when you start off with guarantee fee deltas of you know ten to twenty basis points, you're looking at that kind of price differential. And as you know, Andy, coming from B of A, there's alt there's other things like buy up and buy down grids, which were customized to the advantage of larger institutions. Uh, there were special credit waivers given to the big banks in exchange for market share deals. That right, we got to make right. sure we never we we never go back to the period of time where we have. Freddie and Fannie cutting deals with big banks simply to get market share and drive liquidity into their securities. That that's incredible. That's huge. And and I'm not. I mean, you could talk all day just on that point, and the, the benefit that's had to the IMBs is just phenomenal. But moving on, then. So today, now, what are some of the biggest challenges in your pen, in your opinion, you see facing the independent mortgage bankers? So let's you know let's start with um, cost of compliance, and I would just articulate as cost of compliance with regulations, and 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 unfortunately it's primarily CFPB regulations that are adding to the compliance cost. You know it's funny just take TRID as a as an example, um, it, it, the confusion around what constitutes being compliant with particular products that uh, we're not quite sure how to disclose them correctly, uh, as an example or with systems providers that we depend on, that particularly smaller lenders depend on, like independent mortgage bankers where they don't build their own, uh, and the systems providers who may have even publicly said they were ready, turn out they weren't. Um, that cost of compliance is where, uh, and you talked about it earlier in the show today, Dave, which was showing just the increased uh, cost um, uh, headcount that's being added to institutions. I've, I've talked to so many independent mortgage banker CEOs, and they're just walking me through the headcount they had to add uh, just yeah. to make the TRID rule work. The, the point I add about TRID is, you know, the Y2K comment, for consumers, it was a Y2K. Uh, they got a better form, and as you all know, while it's really painful for the IMB, uh, they're closing every loan, and they're making sure they close every loan. It's costing them more money. They're hiring more people. Uh, it's causing excessive stress with their personnel to make sure that they're getting this done right. But they're taking risk uh, to make sure they get the loans closed or spending a lot more money to do it. And the consumer ultimately is benefiting, but it's coming at you know at a pretty high price for institutions that could do a lot better with clarity. That's what the Bureau is just not doing a, well, a good enough job on, is providing clarity in, this poli in, in the trade rule. But you could go to marketing and service agreements. You could go to loan officer compensation structures. Um, uh, we could go to fair lending concerns. I mean, it, it's going to go across the board, and I, I think that's right now simply the greatest risk. The second one I would just add is um, is this licensing piece. You know, we've gotten a uniform um, standardized test, uh, state test passed in 44 states so far. We need to go to 50. Uh, but we also need to make sure we continue this work on get, getting at least transitional licensing done because as the market can, starts to consolidate, which it will, uh, particularly with the decline in refis as we and purchases will increase but not at the same rate. So we're going to see a smaller market in the next couple of years. 
we have to make it easier for employees to transition into companies that can actually serve the marketplace. And I think for IMBs, which have proven a great ability to serve the purchase market, um, they're going to have an opportunity to recruit a lot of people, I think, and, and that's going to be uh, something that could be a point of resistance if they if they're recruit if someone's coming from a covered institution that did not have to take the test uh, and can't go to work the next day. So the transitional bill is going to be really a, a top priority for all of us as, as we think about going forward. Uh, all great points. Let's move over to Joe Farr. Okay, uh, Dave. The you mentioned leveling the G fees, which was huge uh, for the for the small lender. Uh, what is it? What are the GSEs doing now uh, to to continue to try to help that small lender? Well, you know, it, it's interesting, and I I think I worry about short memories um, because uh, I ran two IMBs before I left to go into the administration. Um, and uh, one was Moulton and Allen Williams, which I had purchased and converted into a new name. But um, the, 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 the prior to conservatorship, um, I know firsthand how steep the difference was in pricing to independent mortgage bankers um, and to small lenders generally. And I remember uh, meeting with CEOs. I remember Bill Armstrong from Cherry Creek Mortgage was livid over this point for so many years um, and others about this difference. John Johnson and Hank were obviously big leaders in trying to level the field. Uh, you know, it's actually in conservatorship we got this done. And I think part of the reason is that they're not having to meet the demands of shareholders necessarily, at least at this point, uh, and to drive purely for returns, a lot of which has to do with your size in the market. And I, I think it was the competition for market share that uh, that that promoted the idea that you'd go cut a deal with a large institution that could bring you hundreds of billions of dollars uh, rather than having to chase a thousand institutions that each could bring you very little. We're not seeing that today. So what the GSCs are doing today, which, you know, Joe, I know you know very well, and, and Andy and others, They've, they're using their cash window actually as a tool to help the IMB. Um, if you think about the, the, the pay-ups that are coming through the cash window, uh, much to the chagrin of some of the larger correspondent lenders, but they're, um, they're providing some uh, uh, market advantage actually day in and day out, uh, depending on what acts they're playing through, through the cash window. And that's that's created some price actually advantage. Um, the, the other area I think that the level G fees is helping is it's, it's keeping everybody in the same primary coupon. And as we see rates rise, um, that's going to be more important because as the yield curve shifts, and we expect it to shift over the next couple of years and for the Fed funds rate to rise as much as 200 basis points over the next several years, uh, if that happens, and no one really can predict that, but if, if it happens, if the economy continues to improve, G fee differentials can ultimately result in a, in a lot of other impacts to coupon distribution, and that can you know affect then what's happening in the buy up and buy down world to the disadvantage of small guys. So, you know, really at, at right now, I think we are at the most level playing field in history, brought on by the qualified mortgage rule, which doesn't allow for you know sweetheart credit deals to be done to any institution, regardless of whether uh, just simply because they're not allowed by law. And two, simply by the fact that um, we've got a, we've got a time right now where, through a lot of pressure, uh, they're pricing everybody equally. Um, now that could be at risk over the long run, but that's where we stand today. So, uh, in your opinion, Dave, what do you what are they not doing that you think they should be doing? Uh, the GSEs. Yeah. 
I think I think you know I think right now uh, the GSCs are unfortunately um, victims of of the status status of conservatorship and the PSPAs and all the political swirl that's um, you know really trying to shift views around regardless of whether they're true or not. But there's a lot of debate going on that's not under their own control. But I do think Fannie and Freddie have actually been very creative over the last year. If you think, if you look at the rep and warranty framework that they've rolled out, actually working very closely with MBA and a group of uh, of, of lender uh, executives here, um, that that's really been helpful to the industry to keep confidence going with the GSEs. Um, the early funding programs that they're rolling out, the events of the '97, some of the guideline changes around. Uh, how to look at you know uh, other household income into the home? I think there's there's some creativity that they're actually helping on. I do think the risk share deals that they're doing should trouble small lenders and I and independent mortgage bankers. Um, and I, I don't think they're doing enough when it comes to risk share. They're doing back end, complicated, structured finance deals that favor, in our view, larger institutions. Um, and not that that should necessarily in, in itself be eliminated, but it comes back to unleveling the playing field. And our view is risk share should be accessible to all institutions, large and small, yeah. uh, in a level environment. It's why we push for it to be moved to upfront risk share. It's why we push for mortgage insurers to be part of that, because there isn't a single independent mortgage banker listening to this uh, uh, this broadcast that doesn't know how to use a mortgage insurance company. And so if you're going to do risk share, which we certainly support, it's got to be a program that doesn't create winners and losers simply by the structured finance uh, um, uh, uh, ways that they're putting these deals together, because that, that is an absolute way to unlevel the field. And, you know, we've had pretty deep arguments with the GSEs over this uh, use of MI um, in risk share structures. But that's a transparent, upfront, competitive process that we all know today how much competition there is amongst the MIs. That's one way that when everybody has access to it, you end up getting the lowest rates to the consumer uh, and the most competitive marketplace that doesn't advantage any particular institution. Right. Alice, I want to make sure we have some time for you. Look at the clock. It's moving along quickly. So, Alice? Well, I'm going to jump into the compliance side, Dave. Um, so you had mentioned earlier about, you know, the cost of the regulations and some of the struggles, you know, that the consumers were facing and certainly lenders are bearing this extra cost. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about some of their reaction? Like are they looking for some change still within the regulation, even though now we're, you know, fairly several steps into it? Uh, what's some of the reaction that you're seeing and the, maybe the expectations that the lenders might have or be looking for help from MBA in this front still? Because, you know, there have been yeah. a few bills out there to change it. Yeah. Well, there's two There's two measures. One is, um, you know, let's talk about TRID specifically. Um, we, we believe and still believe that there should have been an explicit uh, non-enforcement provision that included private rights of action. Um, mm -hmm. Because what's happening to independent mortgage bankers, and some may already be experiencing it, is that the investors, if they're selling to the aggregators, the aggregators um, are not covered by the guidance that Director Cordray or the GSEs have put out. The aggregators are also subject to private litigation. And some have told me that they're, going to, they're finding error rates anywhere between 10 and 20% on average is what I've seen in the surveys of, of aggregators that I've spoken to. Some are going to begin kicking trade error loans back. Some are not. Um, and, you know, that puts a really significant contingent liability on uh, small business owners 
who are literally just trying to do the right thing. So the first and foremost like overriding theme that we pushed for from the very beginning was for the director to use his office uh, to put a non-enforcement provision that would also cover private rights of action. Um, that was not done. It's unfortunate. We think it could have been done. I think there was confusion in the Bureau. Um, for many of you, you know, who use there's there's a uh, a lot of common systems that uh, independent mortgage bankers use, and there were CEOs of some of these platforms publicly stating in the media that they were ready for uh, for TRID. And as it turns out, at least based on feedback that we had at our IMB uh, conference, you know, some some of those platforms did not perform, uh, and they're still not populating the the fields correctly, uh, and that, and so there's some concern there. Uh, that, uh, you know, there was undue, unnecessary over-exuberance of confidence that probably should not have been there. And then the third component, I would, I would just say, is that there's a, a real confusion about how to disclose some of the products, um, whether it's bond financing programs or rental product or if it's, there's any piggyback financing in the purchase transaction, uh, construction perm, single close. I mean, these are the kind of things that are that are that are are causing confusion, and some lenders just aren't either are either not offering them, are manually creating documents to the best of their ability to understand how to do it. Um, so we have sent off a letter to the bureau with uh, a spreadsheet of all of the concerns that we've identified from lenders across the country with recommended um, ways to resolve that concern. It's not an argument that the the forms are bad. In fact, the forms are good. The feedback we're getting is consumers like them. Um, they're easier to understand, but it's the it's the lack of clarity and the lack of systems readiness uh, that could cause either investor kickbacks, products not to be offered in the marketplace, or just an an excessive amount of uh, costs being loaded onto an industry that shouldn't have to uh, if there was better clarity around uh, around this particular rule and some of the items within the rule that we've asked for specificity on. Well, thank you. You did answer my second question that was coming up. So, uh, and is a copy of that letter available for us to see, so we can know what issues MBA is uh, submitting? Is that available on their website? Yeah, we we did submit the letter formally through the bureau process. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, I'll get a copy of it and send it to Dave, and he can uh, feel free to share it with with uh, in any way you you all see fit. Okay, great. Thanks. Good. I am I back on the radio here? I got dropped. So can you all hear me all now? We sure can. We can. All right, yeah. good. Good, good. Sorry about that. It shows I'm still dialed in. It's uh, one of the joys of technology and all this. Uh, when you look at the industry, I'm looking at the time. We're almost out of time. I'd like to take a look at the highest priorities that the MBA is focusing on in 2016, David, and really look at, you know, what, where are you focused? And there's so many issues to be looking at. Well, um, you know, it is it is a long list, and the good news is, you know, we have a hundred over 130 employees in my building who, as you know, are specialists in wow. policy and regulatory, lawyers, accountants, uh, lobbyists, and more to help try to influence decision makers. Um, but I will tell you that we want to try to get the transitional licensing bill through Congress. That's live right now. Uh, it's got a, a, a group, bipartisan group of uh, members of Congress. Uh, who at this point are supporting it, and so we think there's an opportunity to keep pushing that while while this happens. Um, we need to work on this risk share. That's a that's a top priority for us. We think the the risk share structuring today unlevels the field. We want to really pursue aggressively 
the use of upfront risk share, including mortgage insurance. And we've uh, publicly called for a meeting uh, with the director, Mel Watt, of the FHFA to try to pursue that. Um, the third area is the Bureau. Uh, and the Bureau, uh, we're, we need to get more aggressive on calling for clarity um, in the rules and not use enforcement as the way to do policymaking. Uh, we've right. seen a lot of settlements in the news over the last couple of weeks. These are good institutions. Um, you know, one particular lender uh, in the southeast, you know, wrote a, a check for uh, just under $100 million or three-quarters of, of that amount. Um, and, you know, th that was for False Claims Act issues, but it was a lender with a compare ratio of 50. Um, so whether it's HUD... Wow and the Department of Justice and false claims, or whether it's the Bureau and marketing and service agreements uh, or fair lending violations, that, that we're going to see actions rather than clarity in the rules, um, we need to focus in those areas. So you, can, you watch for MBA to try to build even broader alliances to step this up a notch. Um, you know, it's not that regulators are coming to work every day saying, how can we attack the lending community? But if you're a lender today, that's certainly how it feels. And um, that's where having a really aggressive, loud, organized voice that has influence um, yes. and can access decision makers, that's ultimately where you get the job done. And the Mortgage Action Alliance is a, such an effective tool. I want to wrap up uh, just saying, folks, get signed up on that. You do not have, have to be a member of the MBA. I recommend you be a member of the MBA, but you do not have to be a member of the MBA to have your voice heard. So I think that's an outstanding thing, contribution that you've uh, you've made to the industry, David, is you've really made this inclusive of anyone who has uh, shares and supports the housing finance system that you're championing. So thank you so much for being on here with us. Good to have you on at all times and always. Appreciate the, the conferences and the educational things, all that you're doing. There's so much, and I just encourage people to get closer to it. One of the questions I asked uh, Bill Cosgrove, was it worth it? Was it worth the time? And, and, and the interview, and I aired it just before the uh, – September annual conference, and he says, Dave, oh, my gosh. He says, you just can't begin to calculate the value and what you get back by getting involved in an organization like this. David, thank you so much for all that you're doing on behalf of the industry. Thank you so much for taking time today to be here with us. Appreciate it so much. Thanks, Dave. It was great being with you. You bet. Folks, we're going to be back next week. There's so much to cover, and we love hearing from you. For those of you that have uh, ideas of things that you'd like to see us cover, we get those emails, and we're scheduling those out, looking at doing a leadership series starting in January. If there's leaders that you know of that you'd like us to feature on the podcast, love to have, love to hear David at tms-advisors.com. Good to have you with us. See you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 